What did you eat for breakfast? I would like to say I had a healthy breakfast, but I got McDonald's. So Uh keeping it healthy. Welcome to Music on Your Own Terms, the podcast that aims to help musicians develop an entrepreneurial mindset through interviews, as well as discussing resources, concepts, successes, and more. Providing a platform to talk about negative emotions such as anxiety and depression in order to help overcome them in the context of music and reduce the social stigma. This is episode 106. Sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Printing Company in Fort Worth, Texas, offering screen printing, embroidery, laser engraving, and a range of other services. Go to theskinnyarmadillo.com to learn how they can help you get your merch business to the next level. If you enjoy the podcast, there are a couple of ways you can show your support. Go to the store at store.musiconyourownterms.com and buy some merch. And at the same time, sign up for the mailing list to stay connected. Subscribe to the YouTube channel to get extra content you won't find anywhere else. And finally, head over to Podcast Magazine's website at podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot 50 and vote for music on your own terms in their hot 50 monthly chart. This week's suggested artist is a band you'll hear me mention in the interview, Mary Beach Jane. This band is where I first heard about Peter Dolving of The Haunted. The album you're hearing is the band's self-titled debut, which won a Swedish Grammy and sounds as fresh today as it did back in 94 when it was released. Not only were the songs well written, but the production and the tones on the album make it an absolutely underrated piece of metal history. If you're a fan of Dolvin's work with The Haunted, or Swedish death metal in general, definitely seek this album out and get acquainted with it. In this episode, I talked to Matt Connard about his studio project, War Chariot. Since the interview, it was announced that War Chariot has broken up, 
However, Matt is planning on forging ahead with his own solo music, and I look forward to hearing what he comes up with. In this conversation, we hear how Matt got into music, how the band got started, and we get deep into some Swedish death metal talk, along with some guitar nerd conversation about amp tones. Matt also shares his background in business, and some killer tips for musicians to be mindful of their long-term goals and think in a more entrepreneurial way about their business. Finally, Matt shares some extremely personal experiences with mental health, addiction, and a traumatic event as a child that he attributes his former lifestyle to. This is an incredibly deep and moving conversation, and I'm extremely grateful to Matt for sharing his story in the hope that it will give anyone struggling with mental health a ray of hope to see that you are not alone and you can get through your difficulties no matter how intimidating they feel. In the US, if you are in crisis, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK-8255 or contact the Crisis Text Line by texting TALK to 741741. For the rest of the world, contact your regional crisis line for help. For the U.S. National Sexual Assault Hotline, call 1-800-656-4673 or visit rainn.org. And for the rest of the world, please contact your local support agency for help. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today I'm joined by um, Matt Connard of War Chariot. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Simon, how are you doing? Thanks for I'm having me on. Very well. You're very welcome. Um, so yeah, just... Let's start off. What What is War Chariot and what do you do in the band? Uh, so War Chariot, essentially, we are a studio band. And in the band, I do lead guitar, rhythm guitar, bass, and lyrics. And mm -hmm. then my partner, Mike, does all the mixing, production, mastering, as well as vocals and drums. Cool. Did I see somebody else on bass as a guest or was... Yeah, so um, we had my buddy Paul Perry, who was the bass player back in the day for a band called Possessed, which I'm sure many okay, people know yep. of. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been friends with him for the last decade, and uh, we tried bringing him on board. Um, well, we did bring him on board, but uh, life circumstances, especially with COVID, got crazy. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's a new father, and he's got business adventures that he's getting into. And so um, with Mike and I's weird schedule... Um, already as it is, it just wasn't, uh, panning out and I didn't want to put that pressure of him on, sure. you know, we got songs that we want to do, but you know, he's got some stuff going on in his life that is, uh, honestly more important. So, yeah, uh, sure. we unfortunately had to, uh, part ways on that, but, uh, no, still good buddies. That's Love awesome. the dude. Um, so how did the band get started? You know, how long has it been going and you know, what was the impetus of it? So, um, where Mike and I first met was, I believe, back in 2009 in a band that we were both in called Flood the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. uh, we just lost a drummer at that point, and our vocalist uh, found Mike, I think off, this was during MySpace days. And wow. so he found Mike off of uh, MySpace, so that dates us. <laughs> yep. And uh, it was crazy, because he comes from a very rudiment built background with drumline, jazz, gospel, R&B j-pop and we didn't know if it was going to work and as soon as we started playing our songs i was like holy shit this was just a different caliber of drummer right that i've played with locally and uh, we just hit it off right off the bat as musicians and as friends and at the time he was in the band we were in for about a year and then the band broke up mm -hmm. and then mike and i just kept writing and so we wrote 
four songs. And then about that time, we were both kind of so burnt out with music in general of, you know, we've tried, we've been in a bunch of bands, nothing was working out, weren't seeing to catch a break. And we were just both kind of at a point where we're working measly, you know, minimum wage jobs, had no career path in mind. We're both just kind of lost. And Mike was just like, listen, I think we should put this on the shelf for right now. I'm going to go off to go to school. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he went to the Arts Institute, I believe, out in Washington, D.C. to get okay. his audio degree. Yep. And so he was out there for four years. And then uh, I think about eight years passed where we finally were able to kind of meet back up with life schedule. And he was just one day he hit me up and he's like, listen, uh, I was listening to those old songs that we recorded eight years ago. And mm-hmm. I kind of got the itch to re-record them. What do you think? And I was like, you know what? been thinking about that lately of just doing something with music again and he showed me the songs and instantly was like holy crap i forgot about these things they're not Mm -hmm. that bad and uh we went in with just the intention of re-recording them in the proper way this time with his new knowledge and skill set that he got with uh, his degree sure and uh we recorded them and we were just going to essentially keep them to ourselves and just be like hey here's our songs to listen to when we get bored or reminisce or whatever and um we had a lot of support from our friends and from our wives are just going like, you know, like you guys are putting so much work into this. Why don't you guys actually just like release it and see what people think. And so uh, we did. And here we are today still doing it. So uh, that's, that's essentially kind of our start. And where we're still at is just writing music and releasing it and doing things our way with no pressure of labels or managers right. or tours, just because, you know, we're both dads and both have full-time careers and, this is our baby, you know? And so we put full ass into our baby with that little bit of spare time that we got. Uh, we mm. put in as much as we possibly can. I mean, all of our spare time goes into this. This is a huge part of our, uh, a part of our awesome. livelihood. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously it, it was built as kind of, you know, no, non-touring. And do you, do you ever have any kind of hometown live gigs pre-COVID or is it just not something that you're really interested in? Um, it's, it's a little bit complicated in that sense. So, I mean, we would like to play live, you know, we would like to play shows. We haven't played any shows yet. Mm. Um, I mean, we didn't have any intentions once we released our demo that came out in 2018, we just wanted to release it and just kind of be done with it. But while we were writing that, uh, or recording that demo, we wrote like 12 songs, like they Mm. were just coming out like fireworks. And, um, so we thought of just keep pursuing and, uh, We've been talking about this for, I think, the last year um, as a conversation of we're interested to see if the universe is going to be open to us playing shows in that sense of Mm -hmm. finding the right three guys that understand that, you know, this is a very closed loop little circle that Mike and I have here. And this is our music, but it's not like, you know, you can't be involved. It's just more so of, you know, these are how the songs go. We write everything. And if you would like to be on board for playing, you know, a couple of shows here locally, that's something that we really would like to do, but you know, we just haven't had that opportunity of finding the right guys quite yet. Okay. And how, like, I, I think uh, it almost le- like the whole situation, the silver lining of COVID, I think is just how everyone's got a little more time somewhat. And, but, but everyone's kind of re reimagined their mindset of how music can be put out. You know, the, there's mm-hmm. obviously the whole touring local band scene and, you know, I've done that, and honestly, I've personally just 
decided to morph into more of a home studio kind of deal. I, I'm really not that bothered if I can play live or not. I I always had a, an anxiety issue, and um, mm. I think the whole COVID situation has kind of pushed people to be a little more creative in some ways. You don't have the opportunity to feed off people as much because you can't get into a band room. Um, right. But no, I think I think this kind of studio project really lends itself well to the situation we find ourselves in. So where was I going with that? <laughs> have a brain fart. Oh, dude, I have them all That's the time. The it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the four singles you have out are those the older songs or are those part of the new batch of stuff that you've written? Yeah, so those are the songs that were written in 2010. So, you know, we have a small basis of people who know about us. You know, we're kind of a smaller group. And so we don't get to have the opportunity to talk about this stuff uh, up until recently, which has been nice, you know, to get the message out there of kind of our back history. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, those songs were written 10 years ago. So they were Mm -hmm. completely aged in that amber. Uh, We maybe changed like 10% of each song to kind of maybe like, oh, this riff wasn't working out so well Mm -hmm. back when I was listening to a lot of, this you know that right, created right. those songs uh, very dated in mm-hmm. in our perspective and so the new stuff that we're releasing um is very much more the 10-year gap of where we're at now compared to what the demo sounds like yeah and you just released um was it this week as we're recording this the new single yes uh, so tell us about that yeah so the song's called fear not the fire and uh we just dropped that on the 15th and um I'm very excited about it. So intentionally, we were supposed to do, before COVID happened, a full-length album Mm. uh, with those 12 songs. COVID hit, and we had to just kind of sit down and regroup and go, what do we really want to do with this? And um, with our style of how we write, it's very metal ADHD. Mm -hmm. So we'll go from a song that's more so a really groovy, southern, just bob your head kind of a thing, to old school ladies thrash or a machine head song, mm-hmm. or maybe an at the gates meets a kill switch engage song. We just do a lot of multiple influences in one song and it all just kind of starts off from a riff. And if we like the riff, we build on it. And so we had a bunch of eclectic mixed songs that we went, I don't know if this would translate well as a full length could be wrong, but we looked at going, you know what, let's just break this up into EPs and give edible bites for everybody. Sure. Um, Cause we have multiple styles and it's a really big emotional roller coaster Cause you go, this song was cool. And then it goes completely left. And uh, mm-hmm. we just kind of want to see what people's reactions are to that. And so uh, we're just going to be doing an EP every year. So this one that just came out is the first batch of new stuff and fear not the fire is the first of the three that will be on the EP. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, listening to looking at my notes, listening to the, the original four, I wrote down dime and revocation. So, and and, (laughs) and then I listened to the new one and yeah, I really appreciate the, the use of uh, dive bombs and, and dime esque, you know, whammy tricks and stuff. So um, oh yeah. I don't necessarily think revocation from the technical aspect because obviously Dave Davidson is is ridiculous monster, good. but Fucking as far monster. as maybe the sound and the tone, so I you know sometimes I I decide to go tech you know a little nerdy with guitar and you know the the podcast not really guitar related but whatever. So one thing I noticed that you are you using you in your photos you've got the the PV sixty five oh five. Is that primarily the sound, or are you adding uh, amp sims? And if so, oh, sorry, if not, 
what kind of gating are you using? Because the I do find that the you know when you you hear some of the gents, you get that overly processed sound, which mm-hmm. is still it's a style. I mean, it's not bad per sure. se, but it's you can hear it. I definitely feel that your stuff has more of a an amp sound to it. But when you've got that staccato riffing, you need a, a heavy gated signal chain to to get rid of the noise. So what are you using? And sorry for, for non-guitar players, this went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> and hey, just for the word for the wise, I'm a non-audio guy, so I'm going to try okay. to be as gentle in my understanding as possible. That sure. is Mike's realm to the T. Um, so for the, out, for the EP, we used uh, the Kemper. Okay. And so... I love, I'm an analog guy through and through. 6505 plus PVs for me is like the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what we used. We used uh, the Josh Middleton pack, which was the crank rev as well okay. as the 6505 plus to get, kind of give those two different tones in the guitar. Because thank you for even putting me and Dimebag in the same sentence. That dude, I, I, I'm so not yeah. worthy. You know, total. <laughs> I, no, there are a few. Wayne's who World moment. Yeah. yeah, I don't think anybody can in my opinion just because he Wes was just Hawk such a one off only guy. one that I, I think is close today with yeah you know that, that dude's pinch harmonics are god they make yeah. me cry mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like holy fuck it is just entire percussiveness in his right hand is ridiculous so yeah that's the two amps that we're using is the 6505 plus as well as the rev one and then i believe mike threw in the fortin nameless which what we use for tracking um our pre-production. Mm-hmm. So we kind of layered that in with a guitar tone to give it that, just that extra body. Um, because I'm very much in just naturally a very dime bag tone. Like mm-hmm. if I could mix my tones, it would probably be the mixture of at the gates and dime bag. I just really love that. Just that sharp punch aggressiveness that out of that, that, uh, mm-hmm. that rhythm tone that dime has, as well as the girth and the aggression with that life force that comes out of Swedish death metal. I just mm-hmm. love I'm a crack addict for that sound. So, I just so cannot I, get enough. I I I um I assume that you're a big Ola England fan then. Oh, gigantic! Yeah, gigantic. Anything Swedish, anything European metal is uh, that's what I grew up on. Uh, in terms of the newer age stuff, um, I, I love Ola England. I love the Haunted. I love At the Gates, uh, Revocation. I like. Uh, dark tranquility old mm-hmm. school in flames i know that might be a yep, controversial yep, subject no, i i completely day. agree with that <laughs> you know i uh actually got dime bag tattooed on my entire left leg as a portrait nice. and then i have anders frieden and peter dolving of uh, the haunted tattooed on my other leg so those three dudes essentially is what makes me me for music uh, interesting with uh peter's um you know definitely a, a talented guy but He's definitely gone off the rails a little bit of late, I feel. He's awesome. in his own... He looks happy from what mm-hmm. I see on his Instagram. He looks healthy. He looks like he's got a better control. And I think that, you know, as us being artists, you know, I know I can only speak for myself, but I, I'm a huge Dolving fan. I love mm-hmm. that he dug into that pain process of his, you know, fucked up childhood and brought it into the music. And you can feel that. You know, and I know for myself, that's where I draw from a lot. And oh, for sure, not everybody's going to be as adept from digging into that darkness and be able to come out still as a uh, uh, unscathed. You know, because mm-hmm. it's a dangerous process. You're playing with fire. You mm-hmm. know, I, I wish I could dig in more from the positive stuff. I'm I'm doing a lot more of that now. But you know, I mean, this is metal, man. This is where I get out all my 
murderous aggression that you know with my frustrations you know and that's where that music comes from so did you uh where where did you discover peter because i had the mary beach jane album when it came out oh yeah wow going old school with it yeah nice so i think i was 16 so i had an older brother i have an older brother who's six years older than me and he was much more of the, the oi punker guy mm-hmm. uh, a lot of and I was the metalhead kid. He threw me the Black Album when I was seven years old. And at the time, my parents were listening to Elvis, U2, Bob Dylan, Johnny Cash, and Bruce Springsteen. That's all I ever heard in the house. And then I hear of Wolf and Man, and I lost my shit, and the rest is history. <laughs> you That's know? a good start. Yeah, I had a neighbor that came over, uh, brought Countdown and the Black Album. I think we were about 15. That's where mm-hmm. I got started. I mean, there was earlier stuff with Extreme... Ugly Kid Joe, um, mm. my parents, everybody who's everybody has Queen greatest hits. So that was oh, yeah. obviously an influence. But yeah, I think Brian Adams at the beginning when MTV was getting popular and he had a guitar player with long hair and a red strat. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. then Megadeth and Metallica. And then I started I started getting a lot of shit in high school for being too into too heavy music. Like everyone was in Guns N' <laughs> Roses and I was like Metallica, Megadeth. Oh, carcass? Yes, yes, please. So right, you like Venom? Okay, cool. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah, at high school for me, I was listening to a lot of the. He- I was on this quest for the heaviest stuff I can find because for years it was just this Metallica binge, and then I mm-hmm. found Pantera, then I found Megadeth, and that was really cool. And then I was I started high school in two thousand four, which mm-hmm. I feel very blessed for because that's when Shadows Fall, Unearth, Lamb of God, God forbid was all dropping at the time as well as trivium and all that, you know, when Mm. everyone was blowing up. And then I started uh, going on that quest and my brother, of course, being the cool older brother being like, so I found this cool new band. I don't know if you're, you know, able to handle it. And I'm like, just what do you mean? I can't handle it. He'll like, give it to me. And he started showing me at the gates, dark tranquility and the haunted and the rest was history. Once Mm. I heard (sighs) in vain, with Dolving doing that vote, just it just clicked with me for some reason. It just hit, hit that pain point that I was feeling at the time. I mean, I was a really pissed off, mm-hmm. hurt kid at the time in high school, um, going through a fuck ton of depression. I was hooked on drugs at 14. Mm-hmm. I was just going through a really rough journey, and I needed – I didn't know what I needed, but I know that metal was helping me get my voice to express myself, and there was just a lot of what Dolving's – emotions as well as his lyrics were saying to me that just hit the button and then once i heard 99 and the revolver album that was just oh Mm. man i can still put that thing on back to back today and never get tired of any of the songs in particular a song called abysmal is one of my all-time favorites just that you feel it you hear it you know it just it hits you you know and Mm -hmm. yeah it's a darker song you know but um no, it's still one of my favorites because, you know, to be able to get that emotion on tape and then I've seen them a number of times live and it's still the same effect. It's like, it's an undescribable feeling, you know? And that's what I love so much about metal is that you really get this different type of vibe that you don't get anywhere else. Right. And it's very primal, I feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, that's what really drew me to Swedish death metal was just that angst and that, you know, and I like that at the gates wasn't singing about, you know, um, ripping out intestines and shoving them down your throat and death and, you know, and pewing on everybody. It was more of like, 
issues that we have with the real world in, mm-hmm. a, in an artistic way. And that was what really drew me to that sound. And then, you know, um, Dimebaggers guitar playing for leads for me is still, I just, it's one of those things you just can't get enough. His vibrato, the way he hits oh. the dive bombs, yeah. just the licks and runs and the, behind the beat, in front of the beat, and then making up his own, you know, oh, yeah. feeling towards it was just, I mean, still to this day, it gives me chills. And mm-hmm. so that's where a lot of my influence comes from. So um, you're going to be hearing a lot of that stuff, that's especially awesome. with the later songs. I Dive Bombs for me, is it's a classic. You know, right. I was raised on old school shit. And I know today's music scene is so much different mm-hmm. than what I was used to in high school, right? And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with going in a different direction, but I feel that there's this big disdain for a certain sound to come back but in a newer form of bringing back just almost that less is more, but mm-hmm. more is more at the same time. I, I know it sounds contradictory, but you know, that's metal, at least yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that. I mean, I definitely had the similar experience um, in high school. I think for me, it was underneath the waves when that dropped from uh, strapping young, young lad, I got it on a like magazine CD and I, Oh my God. So I, played that so loud i think that's where some of my uh, hearing damage came from <laughs> i mean i and i went i i think if i remember rightly i think that was the first time i'd actually heard strapping because i mm. i think i bought the first album after i bought city um, nice. and we had you know we had uh, headbangers ball Euro- uh, england which was different than europe and then we also had uh i don't know if you know crusher from noisy mothers crusher's uh he he was the guy that that did the um the Black Sabbath album with the baby that was Ian Gillen, Born Again oh, that, that okay. album cover and he 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 was in Kerrang and all, all sorts of different you know magazines and stuff and he's big in the the British scene but so he he actually interviewed Devon when City came out uh, no when the first album came out for I forget the timeline anyway it's it's irrelevant but yeah Sid, for <laughs> underneath the waves was the song for me that I remember specifically giving me so much therapy I guess for mm. sure oh Devin's one of those guys it's just it's like everything he touches he's got the Midas touch with music mm-hmm. I think the first strapping on long, long uh SYL song that I heard was Zen yeah and that blew my fucking mind I could not believe just what I was hearing and I saw them back at Ozfest, I think 2006, mm. here in LA. And I never seen them before. And I believe they opened with love. And it just was game over. I was like 15 or 16 at the time. I was like, that's that's it. <laughs> I fucking love this guy. This guy is crazy. Yep. And hearing Gene Hoagland on drums, it just that guy's a monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the atomic clock. Oh. So, so ridiculous. Um, so let's let's go into your uh, your business background, if you don't mind. You you run Oasis Exotic Enclosures, is that correct? Mm-hmm, that Hotel is correct. Housing, and you're an operations manager. So, oh, Rotomold, that was it. I was I've done some engineering. Uh, I, I worked for an engineering company, so I'm somewhat familiar oh, nice. with that process. But so, what have you what have you taken from be obviously with the reptile housing? That's is that your entrepreneurial kind of um, personal thing um mm-hmm. so what have you learned and taken from business that you've applied so thus far into music I, I, in all honesty for myself at least it all goes hand in hand um mm. I, so i i started war with mike before i did oasis the idea came shortly after and uh 
War Chariot for me is one of those things of, I feel like for us, it's free play on learning how to do marketing, how to learn how to connect and network, as well as having that driving, uh, working 20 hours a week on a side project while going through the work week, just really learning how to be uh, better, better business focused, you know, um, as it's a new venture for myself. So this is the first time being in business for myself. Uh, we just launched back in September. And as you could imagine, launching during the middle of a quarantine through a pandemic um, has not been kind, but it's been all right in the sense of, you know, I look at things of when they don't go the way I expect is that there's a big learning lesson behind it and checking off those things of where I can pivot, learning where I can improve. And WordShared has really helped me build for myself, learning how to brand myself, learning how to be more creative, learning how to connect with my customers and develop business, better business strategies, you know, how to implement, how to make things more lean while we're manufacturing. Because mm -hmm. while I'm doing Oasis, I'm also the supervisor for my father and I's road mold company. So I'm doing three things at once all throughout the day and learning how to juggle that. Um, you know, it takes a lot of patience and learning how mm -hmm. to just, when you take the hits to the chin, uh, to not let it decimate you and just let it be a learning lesson. You know, I've had my fair share of, you know, getting humbled through this process. Um, a lot of money invested into Oasis. Um, I have a patent on those cages cool. as well as uh, the systems that go along with it. And so uh, if anyone's familiar with patents, it's, you know, it's a decent amount of uh, pocket money to be able to go mm -hmm. into that. And, <laughs> you know, it just, things are looking great. I've been able to take the time of building my audience through with Oasis and my customers and the potential customers and things are starting to move forward now. I have a few people buying here within the next couple of weeks, um, which is great. You know, it's my first couple of sales and I'm going to develop more sales funnels as well as learning how to run more SEO and having to do everything yourself, I think teaches a discipline that you just can't learn anywhere else. I mean, sure, school is going to greatly help develop those skill sets and the knowledge base, but having to be, you know, essentially tossed in the frying pan and survive and not just survive, but to grow from it, you know, it mm -hmm. takes that, that knack of even when you're unprepared to literally force yourself to prepare, spend all your off time of learning how to do things yourself uh, because no one else is going to understand your dreams or your goals as well as yourself. And so it's been a great experience thus far. I have very high hopes for Oasis. I'm getting a lot of great feedback which is phenomenal. And we're building up a rotational molding business that does supply my own products. So there's a big advantage for myself of learning, well, I could either take this idea and outsource it to another roll to molder, or I can take the chance on me doing it myself with our profession that we're doing. And I cut a lot of cost. I'm able to give mm -hmm. a better price to my customers. I'm able to have discounts where I wouldn't be able to have other discounts doing it in this process. So Sure. Um, just learning those things, I think, has been detrimental with both uh, the business acumen as well as music, you know, because even though Ward Chariot is a hobby, we treat it like a business in the sense of uh, when we're going at it, we're putting an extra 20 hours to 30 hours of work a week on Ward Chariot constantly. And you don't get to see it on screen in front of Instagram. And, you know, to the younger viewers out there, you know, what you see on Instagram isn't always as effortless as it looks right. or... Or as it appears, you know, there's a lot of work that goes behind the background of just getting things developed, trying new ideas, figuring out how to build your audience. And, you know, we're very much at the starting ground at that point. But I mm. feel, you know, with the consistency of 
pursuing that, it's only going to get better and it's only going to grow. You know, um, I've seen too many bands give up before they really reached any sort of pinnacle of success within themselves because they're looking at things of where it's at today and going, shit, this doesn't look good or doesn't feel right. And you have to sometimes be able to take yourself out of that equation and look from outside towards yourself and go, is this possibly because I'm not doing my part? Is this because I'm actually hindering this process or is this generally not a good situation for me? And I'm just staying in because I'm afraid if I won't find another opportunity, you know, those are questions that you have to really go through and ask yourself. And I think Mm. sticking through something that you believe in, no matter if it becomes successful or not in, in terms of grandiose success or just regular, you know, success in terms of I won this accomplishment for myself, you have to keep pushing forward, right? You know, I mean, we all have to deal with different levels of degrees of anxiety, depression. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest, you know, that's been my biggest battle of going through all of this is learning how to keep things moving when I don't feel like I can even handle it because of the, you know, the private crushing stuff that I'm going through, you know, um, it just, you know, not everybody has the, you know, the ability to talk about these things. That's what I really like about your podcast is that, you know, we bring this into light, you know, to make it normal that, hey, you know, just because the outside may not look like we're hurting much, we're all going through our own shit, you know, and currently, you know, it's just I'm going through one of those swings of learning how to just powering through even when up here. Yeah, it's hard to keep going sometimes. I absolutely feel that. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. One thing I did want to touch on before we leave that subject is in business, obviously, you've got very clear metrics that you can say, all right, I I want this goal. I want to get this many sales per year or I want to, you know, get this many customers with music. I think it's very important to do that kind of thing. But it's so, you know, it's so abstract in a way that you can't really say oh i mean you can say i want to play this stadium or i want to fill this arena but that's not really a good goal because you could theoretically hire three thousand people to go into a room it's doable that if that's the way you want to do it to, to be an event but in terms of what success in a band situation what does that look like for you given that you you know your background in business how do you translate those goals to the music? Um, you know, that's a very good question. You know, um, I really like how you put that of, you know, I want to play in this stadium. You know, that's a really good note to put on because I think sometimes we get lost in the bigger uh, goals and instead mm-hmm. of looking at, you know, like what you said, if um, somebody's goal is to go, I want to simply just release music. You know, you have to ask yourself, you know, what that's going to take. Are you going to have the time? Do you have the gear? Do you have the ability to do so? Um, How much practice are you able to do throughout the week to prepare? Mm -hmm. How open-minded are you going to be for the music in terms of what you want to accomplish? And I think, you know, you have to be realistic with what you got. You know, uh, as far as my playing goes, I know I'm not a super shredder guy, right? You know, I'm not a Jason Reeves Richardson. Um, you know, I'm not an Ingve Mountain Those guys rip, you know, at really mm-hmm. high speeds. I'm more so of a Neil Sean type of player, you know, a George Lynch type of guy. Um, I like feel. I like playing slower. That's just my natural acumen to that. And I have to learn how to lead into that strength. And I think for a lot of years, 
I was failing in my writing because I was trying to reach a level that just wasn't speaking to me naturally. Now, that's mm -hmm. not to say I couldn't put in the time to learn that style. There was just a certain voice that said, this is who you are and embrace it. And you have to be realistic of what your goals are. Do you want to release music in three months or do you not care if there's a timeline? You know, do you want to do it to get onto a label or do you want to just write it for yourself? You know, I think goals have to be very specific as well as starting out small with the goals. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be as simple as, okay, I got to practice the Lydian scale because I want to add more of that into my music. And once you hit that goal of, okay, I learned, you know, the Lydian scales in different modes. This is cool. I'm getting better at it. That just kind of builds that momentum, I feel like, of going forward. You know, for Mike and I, it's just to purely release music at this point. So we have to set aside the times of when we're meeting up, knowing our practice regimens. I mean, you have to at least for us, be able to work with what you got and be honest with yourself in terms of what you want to create and how you're going to be able to create it. You know, we didn't have access to a professional studio, nor the funds did we able to. So we had to do everything DIY. And to be able to match up to a higher quality sound, it was going to take a lot of research and work and practice to get to there, um, which is why we took a two-year break from 2018's release till now. Um, so we can get closer to that level. And I think you know, you have to be honest with yourself. I'm not a road dog. I don't want to be on the road. I don't want to tour. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of years in my younger um, upbringing of wanting to chase that dream because that's what I thought I wanted. Mm -hmm. When I actually sat down and had to be honest with myself, I realized, you know, that's just not my, what I want to do. I'd rather have a, a family life and working in a career. And if I can do music, that would be sweet. And I finally was able to get my place to get to that position. And you know, I consider that a success for myself, you know, because not everybody's able to make that time for themselves to do their hobby and to put as much time as I'm able to into it, you know, and I think, sure. um, you know, small, reasonable goals. And then once you start achieving that and seeing that you're winning in those goals for yourself, then you can build larger goals. But, you know, I think they have to be incremental in terms of your honesty about what you want to do and how you're going to get there. Awesome. Yeah, totally agree. If I could start on my uh, non-quickfire question round. Sure. Let's see. Uh, what significant negative experience have you overcome and what did that teach you? Ooh. Um, I got a good number of them for to pull from. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, I'm open and honest to talk about it enough. But uh, when I was younger, um, I was raped. Wow. And so when I was five years old from a family friend at a family party, Mm. and um that fucked me up you know it, it uh i didn't know how to make sense of that and i wasn't able to remember that up until we got pregnant with our son noah mm. and as soon as my wife and i got pregnant is when all those memories flooded back and going through that process for the last four years has been a very humbling experience as well as very enlightening uh, because like I said earlier, um, at 14 years old, I was addicted to cocaine. I had no idea what this void was, but once I turned into a teenager, I think it was like 12 or 13, I just felt this void that was unfillable and that was all consuming. And I had no idea where that came from, at least consciously, you know, but my subconscious knew. Mm -hmm. And, um, I wasn't a very extreme person. You know, I was very much into drugs. I was very much into abusing alcohol. Um, lived a very fast lifestyle, uh, didn't plan to be here past 25. You know, I was just 
uh, a star waiting to be burnt out, you know, and life had other plans, you know, which is great. You know, it's all been positive, mm. but um, having to deal with that and feeling so overwhelmed with the depression and rage that came from that of, you know, wanting this sense of justice of how could somebody do that? Not mm. only just to me, but a five-year-old, you know, that's just, that fucked my mind up of trying to wrap my head around that. And, um, you know, explains where all that excess came from, all that fast lifestyle, because I was just a seething ball of pain that wanted just, I wanted to burn out, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I've, you know, been on the verge of suicide a number of times. I've overdosed a number of times. You know, I've been in very sketchy situations where I probably shouldn't be here, but mm -hmm. I am. And I think that's, you know, through everybody's journey is the key is to be able to live in the present, you know, um, living in the past can really stunt who you are and what you're doing. You know, it affected my, my marriage with my wife. It affected my relationship with my friends. I mean, it affected my entire perspective on the world. And mm. unfortunately going through that kind of trauma, you build these lies inside of your head to justify, you know, the horror of what happened. And, um, for myself, I was, you know, I consider myself a grandmaster of learning how to be a uh, self-destructive, mm. you know, I have done everything in the fucking book to push everybody away from me. Um, because I just felt like I wasn't worth it. You know, I felt that I was unlovable. I felt like I was just a worthless piece of fucking trash. That was a mistake for a long time. And, um, you know, and not to get religious, but I'm, you know, grown up in a reformed Protestant household and I still am today, you know, very much a believer in Christ. And, um, you know, even with that being said, it was very confusing. You know, I asked myself questions growing up of like, well, what's wrong with me? Am I a mistake? Does God not love me? You know, um, going through all those crazy situations, but, you know, living in the present and learning how to accept things that are beyond our control I feel is one of the hardest things to be able to personally do for yourself um, because that lack of self-confidence and self-love can be just so crippling to everything in your life, from your work life to your hobbies, to your personal relationships with people, um, you know, and having to dig through life the last four years while going through that has taught me that, you know, as simple as it is, is it is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. Do I do I want to continue this path of destruction or do I want to take these fucked up disease-ridden lemons and do something with it? You know, mm -hmm. I wouldn't make lemonade from a moldy lemon, but what I could do is maybe make some fertilizer for shit to grow, you know? And that's a metaphor for, you know, myself and, and yeah. growing through that. And, um, and realizing that, at least for myself, that if I could survive that situation and the extremities of what I went through growing up and I'm here today mm. and I'm in a positive mental space, that even though I still struggle with going through depression and anxiety, it's just part of the gig, right? Um, just learning how to fight back better for yourself is one of those things that I've been learning and trying to implement you know, every day because otherwise I know where I can end up going when I dive off that cliff. I've been there too many times. I know how much it stings. And I just don't think physically I could last another round of diving into that. So for me, it's kind of this like, not do or die situation, but it's extremely pivotal that I just learn how to heal through this. You know, mm. therapy does wonders, meditation, physical exercise, 
music, uh, being social with people. Um, you know, I think pain sometimes makes us dive into this state of emotional decay and this hermit attitude. Mm. Um, you know, I just naturally deal with social anxiety. So that gets amplified when I'm in public, right? You know, I'm going to the grocery store or being around people in general. I'm always, always too much into my head. But I have to learn that, you know, if this is who I am, I just got to accept it and just breathe through the process and maybe focus on reading the back of a cereal label or something to get my mind off of it while I'm going through public. And the next thing, you know, I'm like, all right, well, I know that in the next five, 10 minutes, I'll be in my car. I'll be able to head home and, you know, mm-hmm. and just keep practicing and not giving up. You know, it's mm-hmm. um, really about not giving up. You know, there's so much great things that can be attained if you just don't give up through going through whatever we're going through. Sometimes people get lost and end their lives, which is super unfortunate, but you know, being a guy that's been there a number of times, I feel very lucky and fortunate to be here because I was wrong. Life is pretty good if you just put in the work and the work hurts, mm-hmm. but it's worth it. Thank you so much for sharing that story. That's yeah, really, obviously really deep. And um, I, I just, one question I have is, what was the moment that you, uh, you, you said the the birth of your son was was the realization of what had happened, but what was the, um, you know, you could have gone many different ways from that, but why why did you choose to kind of, um, f- you know, fix it, let's say, and go down the positive route rather than, you know, go back into because that that's such a monumental realization that you could have just slipped back into you know, all the destructive uh, behaviors and, and whatnot and just, you know, gone off the deep end. Why did you decide at that point? What was the important thing that said, I have to fix this? Here the fact that life is precious. Um, you know, I, I could have died a number of ways growing up. And mm. that's where the, that's where I, you know, dug into was like, was I even happy when I was doing that stuff to myself of hanging out in bad neighborhoods, doing the stuff that I was doing? I'm like, was I even happy? Because you can fool yourself t- sometimes like, you know, I smiled a lot more when I was younger and this and that. And for me, I realized, dude, it's a mask. Don't lie to yourself. Be honest. You know, and honesty is really hard to do when it comes to having to lie to survive of I'm okay. Because mm-hmm. even that type of a lie can be very dangerous in terms of how you continue to, you know, evaluate your love for yourself. Because I had none for a long time. And so I kind of figured... Well, if I haven't been giving myself love this entire time and I've made it this far, what can I do when I give myself love? You know, um, because I feel if I give myself love and learn how to accept things for what they are and just look at things in the light of this shit may have happened and I may have done stuff like this and I've, you know, you could beat yourself raw or you can use it as your armor right? That I've been through these things, right? You don't have to be outspoken with everybody you meet of like, I've been through shit, so I'm stronger. It's just more for yourself of realizing, you know, it's like a, a scratch on the armor. You know, you'll remember where that came from, mm-hmm. but would you rather wear it as armor or would you rather have that be your Iron Maiden, no band pun intended, um, of crippling yourself from growing? And I just got tired of being so damn fucking negative with everything and uh, giving up on life because I've never lived, you know, I've just survived this entire time. And I wanted to know what life is like without having to survive with everything, have, having to be on guard all the time and feeling like the world's against me. And 
I've got to do something about it. It's just more so of don't focus on everybody else. Focus mm. on yourself because if I'm able to do better for myself, my wife benefits, my son benefits, everybody around me benefits, but most importantly, I benefit from that because I didn't know what that felt like. And that's where it just kind of came to, if I don't do this, I'm probably going to end up dead and alone because I know what it's like being self-destructive on an extreme level. And I know that route. I've been on that side of the fence for, you know, a good number, the majority of my life up until this point. But instead I try to look at the blessings that have come into my life of transformation and change. And, you know, not everybody tells you how painful growth is. You know, you hear this word growth and you think of this, you know, it's all substantially beautiful, which it is, but in order to grow, you have to get rid of that old husk and that hurts and then having to grow your roots and your new stem and leave, you know, in a plant metaphor, um, it's going to fucking hurt, but you gain something from that, that, you know, I feel is like invaluable, you know, the opportunity to give yourself a better upbringing now than, mm holding on to those things that fucking sucked, you know, and too many people, you know, I feel are afraid to talk about these things with other, especially men, you know, I mean, I'm a six foot three dude covered in tattoos with a big ass goatee missing tooth and I play in heavy metal. And so no one thinks I'm a sensitive guy, but I'm as sensitive as they come, you know, and it's okay to admit that, you know, it doesn't make me weaker. I think it makes me stronger because I have a better understanding now of where my emotions come from and, learning how to pivot and maneuver through good things and being okay to feel good instead of being like, you know, that guy in the bench warmers where the sun hits him. He's like, ah, you know, that's how good felt for me. Cause I wasn't used to it, but mm. you know, hang out in the sun long enough. to catch a tan. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so what major positive experience has given you the, um, the encouragement to follow this journey? And that, that can be business, that could be music, that could be, sure. you know, anything. Uh, definitely, um, honestly, meeting my wife was, I mean, if not the biggest and the most majorly influential uh, change in my life. Um, she's my best friend. I love her to death, you know, and she's been a hell of a warrior of having to go through this journey of being with me. You know, I'm a complicated dude. I got my own bag of crap, you know, it ain't mm -hmm. easy. And um you know, she's just been so positive and supportive unrelentlessly with me since the beginning. And uh, that showed me a lot, you know, that, man, if this woman can love me unconditionally and I'm a, you know, interesting son of a gun, man, this feels good. I want to feel more of this, you know, mm -hmm. and I think, you know, and her being so supportive, you need to give it to yourself and going through therapy and just everything um, that just started building up into, you know, meeting her, then having our son, being a dad, uh, that really softened me up, which was necessary. <laughs> you know, um, I love being a dad, uh, War Chariot for sure, to have that musical release, um, strengthening the friendships that I have with my friends that, you know, stuck along and enjoyed the ride. <laughs> And, uh, you know, opening up my own business and getting a, a full-time career, um, working with my family, learning how to go through those uh, changes and just all these good aspects that I have in my life, I cling on to that and realize that, you know, if I can keep accumulating this, um, my life tends to work out better when I'm 
involving this in my life than how I lived previously. So I'm sticking to this and I love it. Awesome. Um, so normally it's one, what is one piece of advice you would give a musician looking to make a living from music? Um, I want to flip that Ooh. a little bit and just say, what is one piece of advice that you would give a musician looking to be more entrepreneurial? Interesting question. Interesting question. Um, that all depends, you know, um, honestly, if you want to be doing stuff on the road, you kind of have to be honest with yourself and understand this is not 1986 anymore. You know, uh, there is extremely more competition out there in a great way. A lot of bands and you're just not, you know, if you can make $60,000 a year personally to yourself being on the road in a metal band in 2021, I salute you, man, you know, and yeah. just by just the band, you know, I think, um, you have to realize as an artist that just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean that you can learn other things to help that. And with music, especially today's world, I think you have to have multiple sources of revenue to be able to even just be able to enjoy music for yourself, mm. let alone try to make a career out of this. You know, there's always got to be that foundation in the beginning, I feel like, because, you know, if you want to become a YouTuber and be a YouTube musician, my biggest piece of advice is to find a day job or some source of revenue that will support your place of living, that will support the gear that you need um, to be able to go and do that and find the time of either sacrificing going out every weekend or playing video games for six hours a night. You know, you got to if you're going to be into something, you have to give it all. You can't half-ass anything and expect it to do anything gratifying on what that might mean be for somebody else and if anything in music i feel like especially for beginning uh you have to have that revenue to be able to support that lifestyle and then if you know music starts bringing in you revenue and it looks like it's a viable cause for you to you know quit your day job and do this full time and you're able to do that that's awesome but then you have to get into that place and realize this might drop at some point mm -hmm. too it might not be permanent so i should have a residual couple of backup plans whether that's doing media for somebody or you know whatever um your professional uh qualities are you can make money while doing your passion and not have to sacrifice uh the next 10 to 15 years of your life of not building up these life skills that when music does end one day because it will physically age-wise you know there's mm -hmm. a certain limit and to look past that i think is crucial and not just look in the short term you know you have to be prepared of when another pandemic hits or the group you're in breaks up or um, you decided to stop doing your YouTube account and you make these changes, you got to be prepared, you know, and to put in that extra amount of work. You know, it takes a lot of work just to do what we're doing and to go beyond that level. I believe it, especially if you have a family, right? Singles a little bit different. There's not really much risk to that besides, you know, maybe losing your place to live. But I think learning how to develop other skills to bring in revenue while you're chasing anything with your passion with music, I think is crucial. Awesome. Thank you so much. What resource would you give to people? Could be a book, a podcast, blog, just looking for anyone to be successful in business music. Oh, you know, I was very much on a big Gary V tip. I'm sure everybody in the world nowadays know who Gary V is. Yep. Um, 
I think with anybody that you listen to, I think it's great to have multiple sources of information from different perspectives because, um, you know, you could take as much grain of salt from somebody and try to make it into yourself. I think it's really just researching the people who are excelling in those fields and digging deep into it, you know, buying these books, reading them. Um, I haven't been reading as much books lately, but, um, you know, a, a Purpose Driven Life, I think is a great book. Um, worked through that. Um, another great book that I read last year was um, Jake Lors, the singer of August Burns Red. He had a book called Mountains. I think for okay. an emotional standpoint, that was a really great read. Mm-hmm. Very much enjoyed that. I think it just in, in terms of educating yourself as much as possible, you know, there's a bunch of places where you can sign up to learn this information outside of going to college directly, you know, mm-hmm. and I think just being able to be ambidextrous and looking at what you want to do, find the experts leading into that and get outside sources, get different points of perspective because you never know what's going to be able to reach to you in a way that is going to help you excel. Absolutely. Awesome. Final question. What does music mean to you? (sighs) Freedom and expression. Um, It's also a very big uh, piece of me being able to get outside of my own head and Mm. meditate you know at least when i play guitar i'm really when i'm into it my eyes are closed and it's like i'm melded right into the instrument and to be able to get that euphoric feeling sober um is a very very powerful tool in learning how to just even just process things you know and so music for me is it's a huge part of my life. And I think it's a huge part of everybody's life for, for myself personally. I mean, I don't know what I would do without a lot of these bands that I still listen to that help me develop a sense of community, a sense of, you know, brotherhood from my perspective and completely free to be able to write my own music and um, hope others enjoy it. But most importantly, I enjoy it myself. And then as a fan of music, um, it's extremely important. It, it helps me be able to get my mind focused on things or let things go or, you know, get really amped up. I mean, it's just, it's such a huge fundamental tool that I use for myself that I think is just absolutely phenomenal. Killer. Thank you so much. So where, if people want to get in touch or listen to your to music and see what you're all about, where can they go? Uh, so we do have a YouTube and a Facebook but we don't really post much on the Facebook and we have very limited stuff on YouTube. Um, but all the action essentially is where it's going down is on our Instagram, which is at war chariot official. I believe our Facebook is war chariot metal. Mm-hmm. And then on YouTube, it's just war chariot, but 97% of everything going down is on our Instagram. Awesome. Um, last thing is, uh, I think we're going to hear the the new single. So um, just recap what, what's it called and what's it about? The song is called fear, not the fire. And the song is about reaching within yourself, belief in yourself, learning how to grow past those negative chains that hold ourselves back sometimes. And uh, metaphorically, you know, that fire inside of us, which is our life force. um, When you're in pain, sometimes you can ignore that and be afraid of it and learning to not be afraid of it, but harness it and do things to grow positively and to overcome those heavy burdens that sometimes we have to bear and just to rise up and punch life right back in the fucking face. (laughs) Awesome. Um, This has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. 
Um, so yeah, continued success and uh, stay in touch. Thank you so much. Simon, I appreciate you having me on here, brother. I really enjoyed this. And until uh, next time. Thank you so much for listening. I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform, as this really helps get the word out about the podcast so that other musicians can benefit from the awesome knowledge that my guests are sharing. The more the musicians community collectively learns, the stronger we will all become. A rising tide lifts all ships. Keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. This is War Chariot with Fear Not the Fire.
in the US, if you are in crisis, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK-8255 or contact the Crisis Text Line by texting TALK to 741741. For the rest of the world, contact your regional crisis line for help. For the US National Sexual Assault Hotline, call 1-800-656-4673 or visit rain.org. And for the rest of the world, please contact your local support agency for help.